Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Kingsbury, Director of Human Optimization at Onnit, and I'm joined by Dr. Dan Engel, another man who embodies total human optimization. And uh, Dr. Dan has worked with Onnit in the past. He's still working with Onnit, but he also just worked on an incredible book called The Concussion Repair Manual. And you might be thinking, I've never had a concussion before. What the fuck does that have to do with me? But I can promise you this, uh, as Dan mentions on the show, if you have a normal, high-functioning brain, your brain is about to get a boost. All the things mentioned in this book will help you think better, learn better, and just feel better, get the most out of life, and optimize your cognitive function, optimize your emotional state, your stress response, and your everyday waking joy. Check out this podcast. You're going to love it. All right. Thank you guys for tuning into the On It podcast. We are joined by none other than my man, Dr. Dan Engel. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. I've got the advanced reader copy of the Concussion Repair Manual and super pumped to have you. You know, I've been a fan of yours. I've, I've uh, listened to you way back in the day on the Warrior Poet podcast. Early days. Heard, yeah, early days. <laughs> Heard a lot of good things and I'm very excited to have you here awesome. in Austin. Yeah, it's good to be back. Always good to be back. Yeah, so uh, it's been a little while since you've been out here, yeah? Yeah, last time I was in was for Aubrey's uh, Go For Your Win launch. Oh, and yeah. Geez, year and a half is yeah. goes by, or a little over a year goes by pretty fast. It does, it does. 2017 has been a rocket ship for me, uh-huh. So, but all, all good things. So, I do, I, you know, being mindful of the fact that you've, you've done quite a few of these and, and uh, listeners that listen to the On It podcast probably have heard you on The Warrior Poet, but I do want to touch on kind of your origins and where you started in medicine, what got you into these things, and then we'll touch on your own personal background with, with TBI. Awesome. Yeah, I uh, originally didn't plan on going to medicine. Uh, I went to college to play soccer, actually two, three miles from here at St. Ed's. Okay. Yeah, um, and played competitively throughout college, played competitive soccer for a better 20 years, um, and that kind of leads into the concussion repair manual. So, um, fell into medicine, thought I would do surgery or ER medicine, really hands-on, fix-it kind of style. And then two weeks before medical school, dove off a pier, broke my neck, C5, started med school in a halo. First three months, not subtle way to start. My med school ID badge for four years was me in the halo, which is just a rad way to meet like patients in the hospital. They were like, holy shit, you've been through something. And then um, through that whole process, being in the halo and having that near death, so to speak, experience, um, it really changed my trajectory. Uh, So I ended up going into psychiatry and neurology, was really curious about spinal cord rehabilitation and um, the humanistic side of the, the experience of becoming a new version of ourselves, learning about ourselves the whole time. You know, this this one precious life in this monkey suit, we get the opportunity to continuously reinvent ourselves, continuously look in the mirror, continuously do the personal development work like you and I were talking about before. There's always more to know. Mm-hmm. There's always more to do and grow. And that kind of unique experience in the, in the humanness of this is what drew me to psychiatry. So I did psych, child psych, forensic psych. And after I was done, it... I, I didn't really like the training, so to speak. Um, I don't. I didn't like the pharmaceutical kind of symptom management style. Um, yeah, so, you got this issue. Take this pill. Right. We got a pill for that. And you know, I bastardized Western medicine for a long time, um, and now I appreciate that it has its place. You know, when I broke my neck, I didn't go see my herbologist. I went to the ER, and so yeah. in Western medicine, we do ER crisis r- management really well. 
Um, and so there are times when pharmaceuticals are helpful, like with severe mania or severe psychosis. Um, even with severe depression and anxiety, there are other things that we can do besides pharmaceuticals. And uh, so I opened up a clinic in integrative psychiatry, had that going for about three years in Portland. Um, but there was still a sense that something else was there. I mean, it was good work. We were having great results, but it, was, it wasn't quite the soul of it, quite the juice. And then I was introduced to ayahuasca. And after that, it was a very clear what my path was going to be. Yeah. And, I, and you weren't just, sorry to cut you off, but you weren't just introduced. You kind of went balls deep down that path. Yeah, that first entry point was so clear that I had gotten in touch with something that had also gotten in touch with me at a soul level that I had experienced before. And in one weekend workshop, I learned more about myself than in one decade of psychotherapy. And after that, um, not being uh, married at the time, not having kids, being really flexible, having an adventurous spirit, I pretty quickly closed up my practice and made my, my way down to the jungle. <laughs> lived in the jungle for a little over a year to study the medicine because I was really curious, like, wow, this is such a fascinating experience. This is such a fascinating science. And this science has been alive in these traditional cultures in the Amazon River basins for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. There are unbroken lineages that go back to ayahuasca's inception. And so I was really curious to understand, like, their cosmology and how they work with the plants and how the forest is their pharmacy and their grocery store and their hospital and their place of worship. And it is completely enveloped in all aspects of their culture. And I did go pretty balls deep and I married the medicine essentially, didn't think I was gonna come back, didn't plan on coming back, didn't really wanna come back. Um, it made the most sense of anything I'd ever experienced. And so over the course of that year, getting more and more clear with how I might be of service back to the collective, so to speak, um, and doing a series of dietas, which are deeper dives with specific other medicines where ayahuasca opens the door and you work with specific other plant master teachers. And it was clear that being in a jungle hut off grid probably wasn't going to be my biggest opportunity to serve back. Yeah. And so now uh, full spectrum medicine is the platform that is the bridge between the allopathic medical community and the psychedelic medicine community so that when we are able to legalize and formally reinstitute these medicines into the fabric of our medical mainstream we will see a renaissance in the entire field of psychiatric care that's our charge concussion repair and tbi recovery is one aspect of that and i also experienced that kind of firsthand too after six or so pretty severe concussions and having part of my brain work pretty well um, to be able to get me through med school and residency and a lot of post-grad training, um, but still recognizing that there was still more work to do. So I started to amass all of the research that I put into the manual because I wanted to know the best of the best technologies and therapeutics because when I was going through my TBI recovery, uh, the, the docs and the neurologists and the attending physicians I was working with at the time, they were like, yeah, we hope it gets better. Go home and rest. Don't, don't knock your head again. That was like the summary statement. I'm like, well, I'm probably going to knock my head again because I do like the sports arena and I can't believe you guys are a, a field of neurologic care that doesn't appreciate that the brain is plastic. There is neuroplasticity. There is a constant opportunity to evolve and grow. And I'm 
fascinated by the fact that we don't have good technologies. Of course, this is like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. So I started studying it, put myself in the lab, came up with the best of the best, so to speak, that helped me and that helped other friends, family, and clients that I put through these protocols. Uh, and we want to be able to have the data available so that when um, people are going through the process of trying to get their head back on and their brain back online, and sometimes it's them going through the experience, sometimes it's friends and family going through the experience and trying to support them. Oftentimes they just want to know what are the treatments that work because my doc is saying that we don't really have good options. And I don't get the sense that that's true. I get the sense like maybe they just don't know. Yeah, there's quite a bit they just don't know. Right. You know, what do they get, like one chapter out of their four years on nutrition? Yeah, so I, got, not a huge... I got, I think, eight hours of nutrition in four <laughs> years of medical school. And there's not, and that's a good, that's a great example of something that anybody can do, complete nutritional overhaul that does stimulate neuroprotection. So it helps to prevent concussions and it also stimulates neuroreparative mechanisms. So it helps to, to repair the damage that's been done. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I want to dive into how you lay out in this book because as I was reading it, I was blown away that, you know, first, you know, having fought in the UFC for eight years and had my own uh, TVIs, not not on the level of yours. And I want to paint a picture real quick to backtrack what a halo looks like. It's not this <laughs> neck brace you see no. like in Law and Order or some shit or People's Court where yeah. the guy limps in and fakes his neck injury. I mean, you had screws in your fucking neck. Yeah, right? these, with these guys, and this dimples thing went all are, the way up to your head. Dimples are. Yeah, they, they have this tight, there's a titanium, looks like a horseshoe. It's open in the back and closed all around the front, and they f screw four bolts into your skull, one in, in kind of either side frontal bone and either side occipital. And that horseshoe is, it's a titanium horseshoe, and it's anchored by four titanium rods into a chest plate and a, plate and a back plate. So, so there's you, zero you, movement. You can't, you can pivot at your <laughs> hips and nothing above. Oh yeah, yeah that that three that, months. I think that tells people it paints a little bit better picture of of because you know you see like eh, all right you know he's got the neck sling on or whatever it's like no 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 like you you dove how far did you dive? It was about um, fifteen feet above water into knee high water into knee high water. Yeah, head first. it was um it was a uh, it was in the Gulf of Mexico which I've fished in the Gulf of Mexico since I was a kid. I can't believe, in retrospect, I have no freaking idea what I was thinking. I've never dove into water with my hands behind my neck, and I did that. I never even dove in a pool like that, and I've never dove into the Gulf of Mexico off a pier. Um, it was just one of these weird things that I guess was ordained in some kind of capacity because it's so unlike anything that I would have done before. I wasn't high. I wasn't drunk. I was <laughs> very stone-cold sober, and um, I just happened to hit a, a sandbar an oyster reef that was on a sandbar that was knee high and, and it felt like I got hit by a truck. But I had all my faculties. I happened to, I had just come off of college off season. So I was about one, I was about 20 pounds heavier now, 25 pounds heavier uh, then than I am now, 17 inch neck. And so with that kind of stability with a lot of cushion, as well as having a fairly large spinal canal, um, thankfully where C5 crushed, it didn't impinged the cord Didn't so i had all my faculties so i <laughs> dazed and confused climbed back up on the pier walked back all the way home it was about another quarter mile home and by the time i got there i was i must have looked like i was wrecked because <laughs> the people i was saying was like holy shit stop <laughs> don't move we'll call the ems and they thought i was gonna be fine too but um once they took the x-ray they're like whoa 
yeah. you've got two options. We can internally fix you, which means they put steel plates and rods along the vertebral column, or we externally fix you with a halo. And I was like, well, if you don't have to cut my neck, then don't do that. I can take a brace because I'm, I'm used to wearing braces, and that's like the coolest brace ever. <laughs> it's the By most the way, it's the hardcore best, best injury thing to brace do. of all like, time. If you walk into, I, I can't think of a better thing, unless you were lit on fire. I can't think of a better way to clear the crowd in a very like crowded sardine packed bar. Like we would still go out to Sixth Street and I had the halo on and people were just like part it was like Moses parting the Red Sea all the way up to Give the bar. Give this guy a drink. <laughs> totally. <ASAP. laughs> it was the, yeah, there were some fun stories in the halo. Um, oh, that's awesome. But it finally slowed me down and, and totally re gave me a really different trajectory yeah, in life. Changed the path. Yeah. Well, let's dive into some of the stuff that you have in here. One thing yeah. I want to mention to people for everyone listening that's like, well, I've never had a fucking concussion. What does this have to do with me? There is so much in here that bene benefits cognitive function in general. And we all can do better with cognitive function. I mean, how many people have brain fog or lack of memory? Or, you know, you read a book and you, you don't have the recall. You don't feel like you've actually digested and totally. processed that information. Most people who have concussions don't think they have concussions because they equate concussions with loss of consciousness. Mm. And the vast majority of concussions don't have that. So a lot of people who are going through the brain fog kind of post-concussion don't appreciate the severity of it. And the cool thing, too, about the technologies and therapeutics that you're mentioning in the book is even if you don't necessarily have a quote-unquote severe TBI, all of these neuro-reparative techniques and tools and technologies, they also help good brains become great, not just like injured brains become good again. So there's, there's a great opportunity for us to accelerate our cognitive performance better than we thought we were able because a lot of people don't realize that maybe they're limited and they could become quite a bit better, sharper, more focused, better recall, ability to shift sets or have all these executive functions really online. Yeah, better management of emotional faculties. You totally. Know, how you deal with stress throughout the day is a big one that we yeah. talk about fucking maybe, maybe more than people like on this show and on the Facebook lives because everyone deals with stress. Everyone deals with challenges and life continues to throw those things at us no matter who you are, no matter how much wealth you have, no matter which part of the world you live in, we all have to deal with these challenges. And I think having better wherewithal and, and being grounded and understanding that we can operate better, we can get more out of life. And there's so many amazing techniques in here. So let's jump right in. In the beginning, you kind of break things down into different sections. Mm -hmm. And you talk about some of the different sections and the primal sections. I was, I was blown away by how many of these I, I had just fallen into uh, by chance, if there is such a thing, um, you know, and, and really utilizing the, the technologies for different things. You know, when I got into floating, I just wanted to meditate better and I wanted to go deeper. And then turns out there's a huge cognitive benefit there as well. Totally. So let's, let's talk about some of those piece by piece and, and yeah. what are some of the ones that, that you've really gravitated towards? and yeah. personal favorites i like thinking of it on um level systems like so what are the level one protocols level two protocols level three protocols people can opt into and level one protocols are all the primary technologies like you mentioned and i think of it too as like the things that essentially um foster life and those are universal uh doesn't matter if we're four-legged species two-legged species winged swimming ones all the same water light food uh, nutrition, uh, uh, water, light. I know I was going to do this because you kind of like <laughs> hit me on it, which is good. Um, oxygen, water, light, food, and electromagnetics or mm -hmm. energy, yeah. pulse electromagnetic systems. 
and each of those can be optimized. Our breathing oxygenation patterns can be optimized. Everything from Wim Hof practices to hyperbarics, right? So hyperbarics are oxygen on steroids, so to speak. And when you hyperoxygenate the tissues, you increase vascularity, angiogenesis, you get better circulation, you get better function. And it's kind of the same thing with water technologies. We can talk about hydration, and then we can also talk about like the therapeutic use of water technologies like flotation therapy or colonic hydrotherapy, which is detoxing the entire system of all of the residue that oftentimes happens when the brain goes offline after concussion and can't tell the the rest of the body how to optimally function. Yeah. So when the master glands... I do want to jump in on that real quick. I had my first colonic out at Spirit Ranch (laughs) a little while back, and I had my reservations about it, you know, that some people say, oh, that's nonsense, and and I I was open to it. But um, wasn't sure what I'd get from it. And, you know, the people there had mentioned like, hey, if you feel really slowed down and bogged down, that's a really good indicator that you're doing some heavy detoxing mm-hmm. after the fact. Yeah. And I was fucking floored the rest of the day. I wow. mean, I got out so much. They called it Raging Brown. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can watch it coming out in the tube. But I mean, yeah. And then, and then after that day, you know, I had incredibly deep, restful sleep. And just felt fucking lighter everywhere, mm-hmm. lighter in my thinking, lighter in my body and my movement, lighter in yoga, mm-hmm. you know, like a weight had been lifted. Yeah. So there's there's quite a bit of benefit there. And that was just my first time. Obviously, you can dive a bit deeper, getting more consistent with those technologies. Yeah, there's the portal circulation that connects the colon with the liver. And when we're cleaning out the colon, we're essentially like getting a highway to de- decongest the liver. And the liver's holding all the toxic residue. Um, the body does too, the fascia does too, the lymphatic system does too. There are a lot of different ways to detox. Um, and there is a lot of controversy around the need to detox. Like, aren't we just self-detoxing machines? Hasn't that gotten us to this point? Yes. And are there things that we could do better to support the system? Yes. Um, and part of that reason is because there are something like 200,000 new chemicals introduced into the environment every year. And less than 1% of those is tested for safety, right? So we have a toxic exposure on the planet that we've never known in at least recent modern history. And the opportunity is to use the available technologies to help the body stay as clean and optimally functioning as possible. Um, Colon hydrotherapy is just kind of one aspect of that. Another aspect that people are getting more into now is like near-infrared saunas, right? Sweating it all out. And we do that a lot in movement because we're staying optimally primed. We're in non-conventional weight training, and I put that in the book too because that's a way to get the vestibular system and the coordination back online. Sometimes it's a little bit more of an advanced tool if, if somebody's vestibular system is really wrecked and they need more um, of like a therapeutic intervention working with a skilled practitioner. Um, so the variety of ways, again, to come back to like decongesting and detoxing the system, we were talking about water therapies and bringing it back to flotation. I don't think, other than the medicines, and we've talked about the medicines and you know how passionate I am about those, that's going to rehab the whole field of psychiatry when they're institutionalized. Um, and I don't think there's another technology that I'm as excited about as flotation because everybody can float. doesn't matter how old you are how young you are, how sick you are, how not, if you're on medications, if you're not, if you're this shape, this size, it doesn't matter. Everybody can float. And when we're looking at benefit to risk ratio, 
particularly as scientists, we want to see, okay, what are the available technologies, therapeutics, interventions for a particular condition? What's the risk-benefit ratio? And with flotation, it's exceedingly in the benefit. There's essentially no risk. And the upside, particularly when people do a stack, and what I describe as a stack of floats would be like 10 floats in a two to three week period. So you're floating two to three times a week for two to three weeks, and you're stacking the benefits and you're stacking the effect, and you're resetting the entire neuroendocrine system. So how the neurology connects with the endocrine or their hormone system gets completely reboot. And the way that that happens is in the tank, and now you know because you floated, it's the first time since conception that we've been without environmental stimuli. Right, so the entire, like since we were conceived up until our first float, there's always environmental stimuli going on. There's gravity, there's sight, there's sound, there's smell, taste, um, there's uh, tactile perception. In the tank, all that goes away. There's no gravity, there's no sight, there's no sound. It's really like dropping back into the void. And when that happens, it invites the system to find its center again in a much more accelerated way because the brain's having to um, deflect less from the environment so it can drop in deep and quick. And through that process of getting retrained to find our center, get back in touch with our breath, also see what was just hiding behind the curtain because we're so distracted and doing other things and busy with other things, now that stuff that is my opportunity to get in touch with comes online. So I start to process things that have been just driving me driving my stress, driving my views, driving my irritability, driving my, essentially my view for life, my experience in life, all of that comes online and I get to process that, get in touch with that, potentially heal that or maybe integrate it as another aspect. I've had clients and friends repattern trauma work through going in the tank versus going into ceremony, right? Because those are just different technologies to get in touch with what's behind the curtain. And physiologically, it starts to shift the neurology from sympathetic overdrive to parasympathetic tone. So nervous system, sympathetic tone, right? So fight or flight, parasympathetic, parasympathetic tone, rest or relaxation. The nervous system is essentially a binary system, and you're not predominantly in one or the other. I mean, you're not, you're not in predominantly both at the same time. You're in one or the other. Most people are driving, like you mentioned, sympathetic overdrive, tone everyone's stress, go 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 right pound that coffee so first thing in the this morning this starts yeah. to repair that it starts to shift it and the more we can stack that the more that shift maintains out of the tank and into life and then you do b booster floats from there on like once or twice a month to just drop back into the sweet spot yeah one of the things that i've noticed and probably my first three floats was even having practice with meditation and things like that and, and worked with the plants prior uh, my inability to shut my mind off when I first got in there. You know, there's this buoyancy. You're like, whoa, this is fucking weird. And then the mind wants to talk to you. It wants to start to filter and, and, and go through all the daily bullshit of I should be thinking of this. And then you catch it like, oh, no, wait, I'm supposed to be quiet. Right. You know, like that kind of it's thought process. such a trip. But once you release that thought process and you silence the mind, it's fucking liftoff. Like it is some of the deepest peace you can ever have. Mm -hmm. And and truly, the benefit can be there. And many people you talk to about that first experience they have, 
where the light comes on and or the the whale noises or whatever it is and they're like holy shit it's done right you know that one hour's up or two right. hours is up right. and they have no idea like this is just like that just it flew by in an instant mm-hmm. and that's that incredible deep peace yeah. that is lasting you know yeah. you come out of that thing and you feel like you're still floating yeah you sleep like a baby. There's there's a lot to it. Such a treasure to have that experience of of recognizing when the mind silences, and the the deep peace that comes from that, and then the reflection like, wow, this doesn't happen very often in my mind. <laughs> yeah, most of the time it's pretty freaking busy. It's used to scanning the environment and wants to keep us keep us safe and control. Um, it set it set us up to stay essentially safe our whole life. So when it goes quiet, it gets a little fidgety. Like, shouldn't I be doing something? Shouldn't there be something happening in the environment? And so it, it takes a while for that scanning to slowly peel away. And that's another benefit of stacking because you just get more and more comfortable in that space. And the meditation isn't necessarily staying in that space. It's continuing to come back to it. Yeah. Like just training the mind to come back to quiet, stillness, presence. And sometimes it's just, you know, if I'm sitting quietly, my mind may never really shut off. But if I'm tracking it to come back to presence as quickly and, and consistently as I can, that's still doing the quote-unquote work. Yeah, it's I'm the awareness. It. Uh, Dr. Ronald Siegel talked about this. I've mentioned it quite a bit on the Facebook Lives. I don't think I've mentioned it on a podcast yet, but he's a doctor at Harvard. And he, um, he I don't know if I say he wrote, he, um, he has a, a, a book on Audible that's just for Audible. It's part of the great courses. And it's on the science of mindfulness. And they nice. talk about that as the, the research shows, you train the brain like a muscle. Mm. And the more, the more in tune you get to just being aware, being the observer of your thoughts, that in a sense is a way that you can navigate back towards that stillness. Yeah. Powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well said. Totally agreed. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dive into some of these other ones. Um, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, our first tier. What do we have in the second tier? Uh, I, there's some of these things that I haven't experienced, like transcranial stem, things like that, yeah. uh, lasers and whatnot. Would, would you say that's generally used in, um, I know you mentioned the Glasgow scale, would that be for more severe cases or do they have a benefit for all? Um, I th- those are oftentimes, well, cold laser, particularly if we know where the trauma is and um, the the TBI research for cold laser therapy is still relatively young. There are a lot of new novel devices out there that are pretty cool. Like there's an intranasal um, light diode that goes essentially through the light penetrates the sinuses through the cribriform plate into the inferior or kind of like underneath areas of the brain. So that's one way to get light in. Another way to get light in is... Um, uh, red LED and near-infrared um, light diodes that you can put on the back of the neck that shine light kind of up underneath the occipital ridge and mm. into the brain. And then there's the third, which is a helmet that goes transcranial. And it appears that there is transcranial penetration because you're going through bony plates at that point. So it's like how much diffuse light is getting in there. And it appears that at least some is because the early research shows benefit. Uh, I tend to be one of those guys where <laughs> I like stacking therapies that make sense and are and work complementary to one another on top of each other so we get accelerated change. So to that extent, I'm not a pure scientist. I want to know what the data is 
And that's why there's, I don't know how many hundreds of references yeah. of science research in there because I wanted people to have the data. But I'm not typically one that's going to um, study one thing at a time. I want to be able to prove the model, not just the method. So if we have a model of low-level laser therapy into the brain for restitution, then I'm going to probably use all three of those entry points, intranasal, suboccipital, and then transcranial. Because then we know at that point we're shining light into the brain to the best of our ability. And low-level laser therapy has decades worth of amazing research for a variety of conditions. Inflammation, joint repair, um, wound recovery. I think the SEALs were using low-level laser therapy in the field with something upwards of like 40% improved wound recovery rates. Um, so it's one of those treatments that it makes sense, right? So we, when we're talking about primary therapies or primal therapies, these are the things that's, that stimulate life, that boost light, life. Light is one of those. The, the most basic would be like go outside, lay in the sun, get good vitamin D, right? And then we've got other forms of light like the light low-level laser therapy treatments. So anything that is using um, natural methods and then amplifying those in an effective way that the body's able to receive, then we're going to accelerate recovery. Pulse electromagnetic fields are one of those same kind of technologies. Um, the entire physiologic system, the entire universe is made up of frequency and vibration. And when we have technologies that have sinusoidal waveform patterns that match the body's physiologic uh, ability to accept, receive, and utilize that information, then we're going to accelerate wound recovery. Not every pulse electromagnetic field device is the same. Not every low-level laser light therapy device is the same. So that's where it gets into the nuance and the science that is also an art, which is understanding which technologies to use for what person in what order at what time, as well as what technologies under that umbrella are effective for a given person. Are there certain wavelengths for stimulating neurogenesis and neuro repair? Yes. Those seem to be 630 and 810 and potentially some in between, but those are the two that are most, or 650 and 810. Those are the two that are usually um, researched. And I, I geek out on light therapy almost as much as I geek out on flotation therapy. It's amazing. Um, again, it doesn't seem, when we're looking at benefit to risk ratio, it's extraordinarily high in the benefit range. And we can stack it on other things. Like one, while somebody's getting an IV, they can be on lights. They could also be on a pulse electromagnetic field bed because some of the beds that are most specific to people's physiologic waveforms um, increase what's called microcirculation and the oscillation of that microcirculation. 75% of the blood volume is not in the veins and arteries. And that's most of what I learned in medical school. Um, it 75% of the blood volume is in the microcirculation, in the really small vessels. So something like pulse electromagnetic magnetic fields stimulate that oscillation, that waveform, that kind of contractile experience in the microcirculation to get better blood flow. You can actually see that on dark field microscopy. That's also technology that's been around for decades, right? So when we're thinking of primary therapies, these are things that just, those primary five that I mentioned that stimulate life, everybody can do those and access those. Um, 
And then that's level one. Level two are the what I call the in- interventional therapeutics. Usually that's some kind of technology or something else that requires a therapist or somebody driving it, like hormone, hormone replacement. replacement therapy, yeah. right? And Joe Rogan's talked quite a bit about how you know traumatic brain injury can really result into a shutting down of our own totally. reproductive systems and the way that we produce our own testosterone. Definitely does. So it can be either a long-term change or it can be something that is utilized as a crutch until we're able to produce our own stuff naturally again. Yeah. It's fascinating and um, pretty significant to see how concussions affect the master glands of the brain and how when those master glands are affected, the downstream effect is limiting optimal physiology throughout the rest of the body, right? So if we're looking at hormones and we think about the master glands in the brain, pituitary, hypothalamus, pineal, when those are weakened, then downstream, it affects adrenal function, it affects thyroid function, it affects gonadal function. Those are kind of the pr- three primary endocrine systems downstream. You can also think of the thymus um, and the heart. Those are also glands, the pancreas. Those are also excrine glands. Um, but the three that we primarily test for, for supplementation or to therapeutically intervene on the body's behalf and kind of stimulate them to work again, would be the adrenals, the thyroid, and the gonads, and so for that means ovaries and testes. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there to unpack. And and hormones is unique. You know, hormone. You can see somebody that says that they're a hormone specialist, and maybe they've gotten a few hours of CME credit at one of the conferences. But it's it's important to know that you're working with somebody that really knows how to do it well, how to do it mindfully, and then isn't necessarily setting people up to stay on hormones for life unless that's what they require. Ideally, just like any, any intervention, including pharmaceuticals, we are desiring to intervene in a way that we're able to help relieve symptoms. And so hormonal dysregulation usually looks like, it depends on if it, one of those three, but the symptoms of hormonal dysregulation is typically something like fatigue, lethargy, low motivation, low initiation, Thyroid would be like constipation, um, low core body temperature because it affects uh, metabolic rate. Um, So we want to alleviate symptoms, but we also want to intervene in such a way that we're stimulating the body's natural ability and vital life force to heal itself. So we're bringing in a bit of a a stimulus with the expectation that we'd be able to wean that over time. Mm. Maybe wean it to a a much lower dose and maybe the body will still require a little bit of support. Particularly if, like for for me, um, and and I've seen this with a lot of clients as well, um, when you look at the brain scans of somebody post-concussed, it's very obvious that there is functional limitation. Like you see the big holes of functional capacity on something like a SPECT scan, it might be that the body's not gonna completely be able to heal from that injury until those functional gaps are restored. Now the body's also plastic, so it's gonna recruit areas from around that injury site to try and come in and support. It depends on the degree of trauma, the degree of the concussed brain and and the effects downstream, how much it's gonna be able to rehabilitate on its own. So something like a third tier methodology like hyperbaric oxygen might be required. 
and and H bot that's that's usually a pretty intensive treatment. You need to have you need to go to a facility. They've got a tank. You need to have a prescription and evaluation from a doctor, and usually requires twenty to forty treatments to have that increased vascularity, angiogenesis, and full brain recovery, and it can still happen. So when we bring these level one, two, and three tier methodologies into a concerted, mindful, but very thorough and and well-tracked um, methodology, then we oftentimes see significant results. It's challenging, and this is essentially the reason I wanted to write the book, because I've lived the experience of having post-concussive syndrome and not being able to think straight and having massive extended periods of depression and um, hypersomnolence. I was actually diagnosed with narcolepsy and given um, like a cousin of Ritalin, which is an amphetamine, right? So you're essentially getting, <laughs> giving somebody like prescription amphetamine yeah. that's usually going to get people's attention. If Don't they have worry, low of energy, we'll, it's, we'll keep you awake all day. Right, we I got, got, something, got something for, for you. <laughs> and I was like, geez, that worked. So this is what it feels like to have your brain online? Yeah. So I was kind of sold, but after a couple of years, I, I saw the writing on the wall, which is, you're going to expect me to take this for life. That's not okay. So I wanted to research everything else. Like, how can we do something naturally where I'm not dependent on a medication because long-term use, particularly of the medication that I was on called Silert, has long-term negative impacts. And when we know that there are more effective methodologies, sometimes it does require a, a very strong intervention uh, uh, on the front side. So if we're able to do, and if somebody's able to access hyperbaric oxygen, post-concussion, usually I say, go for it. Do high-dose fish oil, some CBD, some low-level laser therapy, get in the tank, do hyperbarics, stack it all, put the odds in your favor. So I wanted to write the book for a user's manual because when you're not able to, I, I didn't want to write as a, like a science manual. I wanted it to be user-friendly because when your brain's offline, it's hard to track. It's hard to be able to follow your protocol and see what's happening and is it working and and that's where something like a health coach is really helpful. It's akin to like somebody never knowing how to work out in the gym and going to a gym and then just trying to fumble around and, and kind of copy what everybody else is yeah, doing. Yeah, I saw a back squat on YouTube. I think I can do it now. Right. Oh, and oops, now I'm out for <laughs> six weeks and now I don't want to go back because uh -huh. that didn't work and it screwed me up worse. So we want to use somebody who is you know, a health coach or some kind of interventionalist that works as a liaison and a bridge between the person going through the experience and their treating physicians or clinicians. And ideally, most of the time, it's friends or family trying to be in that position. And because there's lack of, you know, there's not a whole lot of other options, that's usually what's required. Um, and, and those are the ones that see it first too, you yeah. know, like your, your loved one is not the same you know they're just not the same person they they're they're sunk with depression they they don't they don't have the same light and love and energy that they used to they can't think well and that in turn bothers people you look at dementia and alzheimer's people and how angry they get when they forget something it's because they can catch themselves in that like fuck it's not working properly right and that in turn stimulates a fucking deep emotional response right away and that's very hard to be on the front lines of that. So 100%, they, they take that role yeah. by necessity. By necessity. And you just brought up the second big reason that I wrote the book. One was for myself. Third, I guess third reason. One was for myself because I wanted to find the technologies that worked. Two is for other people to be a 
benefit. And three is because I wanted to stack the odds in my favor that I wasn't going to have dementia down the line because three out of four of my grandparents died with neurodegeneration. Mm. Both my mom's parents had severe Alzheimer's and my dad's dad had Parkinson's. And I've seen up close and personal what neurodegeneration looks like. And it is not pleasant. It's not a good way to go. It's a horrible way to go. It is We've had terrible. Alzheimer's runs on my father's side of the family, and I've seen it in a uh, close hand, you know. And it's, um, you know, Parkinson's, you're, you're a prisoner in your own body. Mm-hmm. In Alzheimer's, you lose every memory you've ever had. Yeah. Or you, they start to cross wires, you know, and you're thinking of, I mean, my great-grandmother called me Larry, who's her son, you know, when I was seven years old. And I was like, Daddy, why... Sh- why does she think I'm Uncle Larry? You know, and he's like, you looked like him when he was your age. Uh-huh. And it just fucking turned me upside down as a seven-year-old kid. Like, right. fuck, that, makes that it, can happen? Right. You know? That makes like, an impression. Yeah. It can go mm-hmm. that south. Like, I had no idea. But, you know, we see diseases on the rise across the board. They're saying now that millennials have a shorter lifespan than their parents do. Uh, Alzheimer's is on the rise, you know, um, and we'll dive into diet here as a segue because, uh, you know, one thing that got me into the ketogenic diet was reading Grain Brain mm. from Dr. David Perlmutter mm-hmm. and the connection between, you know, excessive blood sugar and, you know, calling that type 3 diabetes and really, you know, totally. you know let's, let's, let's jump into that because yeah. I spent some time segue. Um, in, in doing a ketogenic diet because I had heard that there was some cognitive benefit. This was after I retired from fighting and... You know, lowering systemic inflammation, having increased endurance, and you know, I, I got into all that and experienced it firsthand. The deeper I went, the more I was like, "Fuck, my brain works for the first time in a long time." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my. I kind of fell into that experience myself. I didn't. This was ten years ago, and I didn't know what ketogenics was at that point. Um, and I wanted to exper- I wanted to experiment with a essentially a no carb diet. Um, and it was a little rocky kind of heading into those first few, oh, yeah. few days and maybe a couple of weeks. But on the <laughs> other side, I was like, oh, geez, I feel good. I feel clear, consistent energy through the day because blood sugars started to stabilize and normalize. And there was a level of clarity that I hadn't experienced. And I wasn't doing anything else significantly different at that time. Um, and so it was then like a year later when I actually started hearing the term ketogenics and um, I was prepping to re- write the book um, that I, I think I heard something about ketogenics and um, concussion recovery and um, increased learning, um, cognitive enhancement, and um, stroke prevention. I was mm. like, oh, well, that's interesting. Let me dive into that one a little bit further. And that's and to loop back around, the reason I brought up Alzheimer's after you mentioned it was we're seeing now the long-term implications of concussion, particularly with the NFL and chronic traumatic encephalopathy and that looking like an early Alzheimer's picture. And people, we know that concussion, um, particularly repeated significant concussion, increases somebody's response rate or um, um, prevalence of Alzheimer's in their lifetime, especially if they're genetically loaded with the APO4E allele. And you can get that tested and checked it increases, so multiple concussions plus that positive genome profile increases your rate of Alzheimer's tenfold. Damn. Right. So if that's the case, if I know I'm in combat sports and I know I'm genetically primed and loaded, like I've seen that in my family history and it's showing up in my genetics, 
then I know I want to be doing something like some of these methodologies to protect my brain in that experience. And so ketogenics and being in a ketogenic state, the early science is showing that it has neuroprotective uh, mechanisms in place. So if there is a blow, then the body's able to, to respond to it or at least not have the inflammatory response on the other side that kicks in the cascade that leads to a brain bruise and what we know as concussion. Yeah, longer-term damage. Yeah. You can kind of shorten that window to recovery. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't in ketosis when I was fighting or playing football from age 10 to 22, but um, I definitely feel like you know moving my way back into carbohydrates, carbohydrate backloading still... You know, much lower carbohydrate than than the standard American diet. I'd say, you know, on any given day, it's it's under 200, most likely under 150 grams a day. But um, with that, I didn't feel like my body responded better with eating carbohydrates again. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't feel like there was a drop off or loss in cognitive function mm-hmm. from leaving the ketogenic diet, and likely that's due to the amount of time that I spent doing that mm-hmm. work. But um, there's a huge benefit there. And how many people play football? How many people get into combat sports? And how many right. people just have fucking freak accidents like you do? Or people get into car accidents all the time. And all they're the like, time. well, shit, you know, I'm, I'm kind of unscathed. They got this little cut on my forehead, but it's no big deal. You know, and then they can't sleep at night and, and everything starts to kind of unravel for them. Yeah. But there's so much, you know, yeah. given in, yeah. in your book. Yeah. And, and really... It extrapolates out into everything. Yeah, and that that point that you just made in regards to the transition from ketogenic um, into more carb liberal dietary profiles, um, it's a good example too. Like, I'm not necessarily advocating everybody be strict keto in order to get some of the brain benefits of a dietary profile that is going to be supportive for healing your brain. Um, so it's kind of like being in the gym. Some people are going to like go all out right? And do high intensity interval training every other day and stacked with like non-conventional weight training and bells and maces and bats and all kinds of like really go for it. And some people are going to do more like, you know, hot yoga and bicycle riding and more like endurance training. Everybody's going to be a little different. So I encourage people to just experiment with ketogenics and, and gradually I think Perlmutter's book is great. Um, he's 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 an example of a really forward-thinking neurologist. Daniel mm-hmm. Amons is another one. There there are a few key forward-thinking neurologists that are showing um, some of the opportunities to bring new novel therapeutics into the medical mainstream. I bring up Daniel Amons' um, work because he is the one that I'm most familiar with using the spec scans. He's got like over a hundred. He's got a database of like a hundred thousand brain scans, and these are the functional scans that actually show how your brain works. And this is the kind of technology that we want to see more consistently available for people who are going through these kind of protocols because I've been working on my brain for brain recovery for 15 years. And it was only recently when I got a brain scan, I saw, oh, there's more work to do. So now is this different from fMRI? Would this be something like, um, you know, there's photos in the book of kind of like, uh, like brainwave patterning? Would that be like alpha wave, theta wave, how we can tap into those things? Yeah. So if you go, um, I think it's maybe right here. Um, The spec scans are, when you see them in color, they look essentially like, the brain looks like a balloon. And it'll show sometimes holes um, in the post-concussive areas that um, 
Actually, I don't see the, the exact picture right now. Um, but I'll show it to you. And we'll maybe, if there's a link, we can show people like what an example is. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to that in the show and, notes. And show, sure. show a, a usual colored version of a normal brain versus a concussed brain. And essentially, it looks like if you had, um, you, most people know what a brain looks like um, kind of anatomically. And if it was like made out of tofu or jello, which essentially it is, and then you took a big bite out of it. That's what the scan is going to look like. Function, uh, functionally, it has a bite taken out of it because that area is not working. Anatomically, thankfully, it doesn't have a bite taken out of it. So you still have brain tissue there. But we need to rehab that brain tissue. Mm. We need to get it, um, what we were describing before is angiogenesis, new neuronal growth patterns, stimulating things that um, encourage brain-derived neurotrophic factors and all the new growth phase factors that will increase neuronal growth and um, the, the repatterning of new, um, essentially like highways in the brain. We wanna see that activity come back. And the therapeutics that we're stacking here through level one, two, and three protocols all support that to varying degrees. Some are gonna decongest the debris that happens after a concussion, and some are gonna stimulate new neuronal growth. Those are stackable interventions, right? We would want, to, we would want both to happen. Yeah. Like if you were going to um, rehab an entire building, but you had to get the old building out of the way, you're going to go in, you're going to gut that building, get everything out that you're not going to want in there, and then you're going to rehab it, and you're going to bring in all the new technology so that the electrical system's working, the plumbing is working. The plumbing in the brain is like the plumbing in the body. The body's plumbing system, variety of different ways, venous return, lymphatic return. So lymphatic flow is essentially the lymphatic system takes inflammation and inflammatory debris from the soft tissue and funnels it to the kidneys and the colon to get out, to excrete. The brain has the same system. It's called the glymphatic system. That's essentially the highway that gets all of the debris out. Well, that system gets clogged when there's a concussion and then everything backs up and then you get the tau tangles and the, um, the, um, the neurofibrillary tangles and these tau proteins, these plaques. And that's what we see anatomically when um, somebody with Alzheimer's, their brain is looked at post-mortem. It's got these, like if you took a spider web and you just kind of like mangled it up, it's got all these like really screwed up um, cobwebs and congested areas. So we want to get all of that debris out Plus, we want to stimulate new growth. Yeah. And, you know, just basic stuff. Sleep is an incredible... Sleep. <laughs> totally. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely. For dusting off the cobwebs. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that is enhanced at those points. And it's... Completely. Absolutely terrible for people that work, you know, shift work, things like that. You know, when I was in the UFC, I wasn't making a lot of money. So I bounced and bartend on weekends. And I'd be up till 3, 3.30 in the morning twice a week, you know, just throwing off my circadian rhythm yeah. and never fully recovering from the week's workload of, of working out twice a day, things like that. But yeah, there's, you know, you're stacking the cards against you when yeah. you're in a situation like that. Sleep is um, totally underrated. Uh, I was just reading from Charles Poliquin, the strength sensei. Oh yeah. Uh, that was the, he was asked a question recently, um, which is, what do you think that people don't know enough about? He said, sleep. And from a strength coach, I was like, oh, great. And this dude knows fucking everything. <laughs> right. Like he'll do acupuncture. I think when Mark Bell had him on his podcast, he put a pen 
into his index finger as a trigger point. And all of a sudden, and this was right before a back squat, now Mark could open up his entire chest to get underneath the bar, activate his lats, and, and PR it on squat. So little, I mean, this guy has a wealth of knowledge in right. many things. He could have gone down a rabbit hole on a ton of different things, but what was it? It sleep. was baseline, sleep, one right. of the most important things. Right. The most important recovery tool, Completely. the most important fat loss tool. Rob Wolf, one of my favorite quotes from him in the Paleo Solution was, if you're not getting enough sleep, you're cock blocking your fat loss. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> right. It's totally true. <laughs> That's you know, true. all our sympathetic gets activated. You know, we have fight or flight response, cortisol goes through the roof, ghrelin grows through the roof, the, the hormone that makes us hungry. So you have a poor night's sleep, the next day you're starving. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. The body's responding. It doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel comfortable. So, hey, if, if things aren't right on the home front, let's stack the odds, odds in our favor. Let's store more fat. Let's eat more food. Let's make sure that we're okay if the shit hits the fan. Yeah. Yeah, sleep is one of the necessary reboots to the system. And, and some people get concerned if they start getting hypersomnolent. Um, and what I mean by that is not necessarily sleepy during the day, but sleeping longer after a concussion. I'm like, great. If it's not significantly impacting your relationship or your work or other aspects, if you just need now to sleep 12 hours, do that. And do that for like a month. And oh, by the way, don't knock your head again, specific, especially in that month. Um, be mindful of the information you're taking in because usually there's a lot of light sensitivity and noise sensitivity, mm -hmm. EMF sensitivity, like cell phones up to the ear. All of a sudden now I've got headaches after I'm on the cell phone. Great. We'll get some kind of um, be on the speaker or get one of these. Um, not all headsets are wired the same. Yeah, um, well, a, a, lot, a lot of headphones you can get that have the little mic down here. Right. They're not going to be powered. They're powered by your phone. They're not using Bluetooth technology buzzing by the ears right. and close to the brain, things like that. You know, there's there's some easy workarounds I think there more people are getting in tune with and, and fairly cheap, you know, 30 bucks. Yeah. Uh, and you'll also, you'll hear and, and they'll hear you very clear as opposed to a Bluetooth that cuts in and out. And Bluetooth, if you if you have a Bluetooth kind of, you know, <laughs> headset in... <laughs> right, and then you put up a Gauss meter to that, and you actually see how much EMF that's giving off. And a lot of people just walk around. I see guys, mostly men, walking around with their Bluetooth thing all the time, even when they're not on it. Very important people. Right, you know? <laughs> right. You got to no, see, tell see how important I am. Next. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting all the time <laughs> for this next call. Yeah, it's it's uh, ridiculous, and and a lot. That's mostly because people just don't know. So we just need to give people information and then let them make an educated choice. Like once you know, if you still want to do that, great. But if you don't know, then it's kind of our job, particularly as scientists and neuroscientists, to let people know what are the potential risks um, and then what are the things that you can do if you have had an injury. Yeah, 100%. Well, we talked a little bit about uh, the ketogenic diet, and I want to stick on that because something that I've mentioned uh, quite often is the benefits of fasting. And for people that don't want to commit eight weeks to cutting out carbohydrates, an, an excellent entry point is fasting. And mm -hmm. it can be done, you know, there's a, there's a great book, uh, The Complete Guide to Fasting, written by Jason, uh, Jason Moore and Dr. Or no, Dr. Jason Fung and Jimmy Moore. And they talk about all the different ways you can fast through intermittent fasting, doing a 16-hour fast with an eight-hour eating window, uh, you know, all the way to just cutting out food for a 24-hour cycle like the warrior diet, and then, you know, taking longer breaks, which really would stimulate apoptosis and autophagy and really a lot of cellular health and regeneration and just clearing out those cobwebs. 
dive into some fasting talk here because I know you've you've had quite a bit of experience with it. I have. Yeah, I ran a fasting clinic um, kind of in this intermittent window between when I had my clinic in psychiatry and then I moved to the jungle for a couple of years. This is uh, at a center down in southern Arizona. And it's amazing to see the cellular reju- rejuvenation, the chronic disease repatterning that happens through fasting. Um, and it is... I'm glad to see more and more of the science coming out. I'm starting to see more and more of like people in the the lead um, medical literatures speaking about the benefit of fasting. Um, it's again, it's one of those tools that everybody can do. So we put that in the primary therapeutics, like everybody can do that. And it depends on who that person is and what their lifestyle is able to, to, to utilize. Um, I personally, because I tend to have a metabolic rate that's pretty high, I don't store a lot of fat. I get a little edgy if I go through like a week-long fast. Um, I've done that a handful of times, and it's amazing the level of clarity um, that comes through that process. Um, but I tend to be pretty darn tired. So it's not something I'm typically going to be able to do uh, if I'm trying to work mm-hmm. at the same time. But if I have a concerted time where I've got a week and I really just want to have a, a, like a, a reboot time. Yeah, if you can get into nature, take some time off, you yeah. know, even three or four days. Yeah, have do tremendous a digital benefit. detox, have some books, go into the woods, come out a week later, usually feel amazing. Um, there's different types of fasting, water fasting, juice fasting, liquid fasting, food fasting. Um, water fasting tends to be a bit stronger. Um, it can be also a bit more depleting because it starts to demineralize the system over time. So people do water fast. I usually just say, well, great, then add some sea salt or something in there to remineralize. Um, juice fasting, one of the, usually the, the diets that we found that are easiest for most people are the liquid fasts. So that's usually something like broths, um, real thin soups, and green juices. So you're still getting some calories throughout the day. You're yeah, getting a little a, bit of protein, very yeah. easily digested, right. assimilated. But it's under three to four hundred calories a day. So you're still in that significant fasting period, and you're able to just support the ease of it a little bit further. Um, and then food fasting would be more something like if you were doing intermittent, and you were say you were um, your regular diet, you could do um, a fourteen to sixteen hour window right, of no food, and then six to eight hour, 10 hour window of food. And then you did that, and that's kind of like an easy maintenance. Great. Well, then add to that once a week, a 24 hour window where you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And with those two combined, um, you're really going to accelerate the change about as close as you would do if you were doing a week long, twice a year fasting. If it's not necessarily like if you could just do the additive time in the fasting. Like if I'm adding up like, you know, the 16 hour All window, the hours you didn't right, eat. Exactly. Yeah. It's not quite like that, but it's pretty close and it's much more manageable for most people. Like, great. Then I take the proverbial day of rest on Sunday, um, no food, and then do prefer- my preference is 14 hour windows. If I do 16 hours, I typically have a bit of a lag, whether it's in the morning or in the evening. Um, and that, that's my sweet spot and okay. I can do that as a maintenance. Um, and everybody's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. And that just takes trial and error practice yeah. and fine tuning what's right for you. Cause yeah. as we've said a thousand times, there's no one size fits all diet. There's yeah. no one size fits all workout protocol. 
but really it's it's about playing and having the discipline to do these yeah. things and experiment and with yourself and to stay with the experiment even if it's uncomfortable so if somebody's going to try on a new diet i usually encourage them to try it for a month to to get over the humps that are naturally going to come and then to reset the metabolic rate to reset the kind of the hunger cravings to recognize that a lot of time people are hungry they're actually thirsty and they just need to increase their water intake um, and then to have these little tweaks and then maybe add a few things to the to their diet that they weren't adding before like seaweeds which have great minerals or salt or broths and so therefore you can get into a longer kind of like intermittent window during the day of eating and and then you have enough time if you're going to like dedicate a month to tweak it and see if it's gonna work versus doing it for a week and saying oh that thing didn't work yeah i tried the ketogenic diet for four days and it wasn't right for me like <laughs> exactly. oh, that's the fucking hardest part buddy totally <laughs> totally yeah i really like that you touched on on some of these superfoods you know and I think with marketing and, you know, the current way the world works and social media that, we, you know, you find a fucking superfood protein bar and you're like, oh, this has, you know, a, a gram of Moringa in it. So it's, it's a superfood bar and it's got 40 grams of sugar. But um, there are, you know, Moringa being one of them, a lot of superfoods out there. And I think by adding some of these things back into our diet, like bone broth, uh, organ meats being an incredible resource for people. Yeah, you're talking uh, about like the, the earliest superfoods. The earliest superfood. And, you know, diving in, we touched on genetics and things like that. You know, my wife and I did our genetic profile and we found that we can't take vitamin A from, uh, so beta carotene from carrots and sweet potato and convert that into usable retinol. We can't have a usable form of vitamin A from plants. We have to get that from meats. It has to come from egg yolk. It has to come from organ meat. And the same thing for a lot of people with all the different forms of iron, but heme iron is the most bioavailable form of iron and it's highest in organ meat. Mm -hmm. You know, all the methylated, most bioavailable forms of B vitamins are in organ meat. You know, there's just a wealth of things and a lot of these fat soluble vitamins and minerals like, uh, like heme iron, your body can store them. They can stockpile them. So it's not like, shit, I got to eat this every night now. It's like, no, just include it once a week. You know, you have that once a week, that's going to have a lasting effect mm -hmm. on your body throughout the week. And, and it's more satiating, you know, so you do feel even if you are, you know, we talked about that with the ketogenic diet, you can be full longer, you can go without food longer, you're not you're not a slave to the clock, like, oh, it's been two hours, I got to eat something, you know, but adding these superfoods back in can really pay dividends in how you manage your diet and how you can manage that window of, well, you know, I feel okay going 16 hours today and then I'll have a couple meals. You know, it's not like the feeding window starts and I'll just eat for eight hours straight, yeah. you know? You brought up a couple of amazing things there, which is we have the technologies to do our genetic profiles and to get more clear on what are the ideal supplements to take, what are the ideal food approaches to use. And to recognize too, and I've been in this position where I was raw vegan for five years when I was running this clinic. I was telling you about this fasting clinic. And I was so committed to the exclusion of my body. My mind, my heart, my spirit was so committed to this raw vegan path. And my body was getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And I was taking sometimes $600, $700 worth of supplements a month just trying to keep up. Just to manage. Like, I, like, I know I can crack this. I know we can do this. I just got to get over it. I just gotta... And then like five years later, I'm like, I think it's time. And the first time I had, uh, I, I broke that 
five-year fast because essentially a raw vegan diet is a fast it's a form of a fast for sure yeah so i broke that fast with an egg and my body just went through this like whole wave of energy excitement gratitude it was the most religious moment i've ever had with food (laughs) and i realized oh my gosh i maybe i don't know if i realized it then but shortly thereafter i realized i've been in a dogma I've been in a belief system that this particular path was the only path that was right for me, as opposed to saying, this is something I'm going to do for now, I'm going to try it, and it's going to be beneficial, and I'm likely going to loosen up my relationship with it if it's no longer working, because it was, that time was very good for settling my mind and helping me get in touch with meditative practices and being more spiritually open, so to speak, and whatever that means. For me, it was really an awakening time. And it was helpful to go away from meat because now I eat meat now. And when I do, I try and be as mindful as I can. Yeah. Where my meat comes from, um, eating meat in the best way I can, really having um, the gratitude for the opportunity to eat meat because not everybody does or can just at a whim, you know, go to the grocery store and like choose whatever food we want. And we have so many luxuries in our in our everyday life we are so normalized to them and we become uh, it becomes just automated and so it's how many different ways can we offer ourselves the opportunity to slow down and get in touch with gratitude and sometimes that's through these big healing opportunities like a concussion the concussion the first severe concussion i had uh, well, it didn't really slow me down that much. The first time I ever slowed down was wearing the halo for three months. That was like <laughs> finally something slowed me down. And it started to get me more in touch with gratitude for life, right? And so when people hear that I broke my neck, and they're like, oh, wow, wow, you're lucky. But wow, that was, must have been hard. I'm like, yeah, it was actually one of the best things ever happened because it, it really got me in touch with like this, the preciousness of the, our, our healthy bodies and the fact that we're in control of fairly little like I could get cut off by eighteen wheeler driving out of the parking lot like on the highway, Barangi. right? Yeah, yeah. Like and and people in our in our immediate family that we know, crazy stuff happens, and crazy stuff may happen to us too. And and if we if it does, may I accept that as hopefully medicine for my soul and be able to meet that with as much courage and dedication and humility. And I I firmly believe that crisis precedes transformation every time and if we're in many um because i work in the field of um, mental health and spiritual practices and like plant medicines and like all this stuff so many times people are either asking for a transformative experience and maybe not knowing that there's going to be a crisis that comes before that to kind of stimulate us out of our usual way of relating to the world it 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 gets us out of our comfort zone and there's a great spiritual teacher called Muji um, in Portugal. And Muji's fond of saying, don't build your house on sand. I mean, like everything shifts. Life is transient. Life is, is moving. It's always changing. There's always, there's so little that we're in control of. And if something does come in that snaps us out of our comfort zone, then maybe it's opening up us to something else that's just around the corner. 
Oh, man. Dr. Dan, thank you so much, brother. This has been uh, my favorite podcast, and I've had many, many good ones thus far. Um, Where can people find you? You know, where where can people look into you? Do you Mm -hmm. have a website, social media, things like that? Yeah. Given the fact that we're talking about the concussion repair manual, so the website is concussionrepairmanual.com. Um, the platform that I mentioned before about full spectrum medicine essentially being the anchor point between the current Western psychiatric community and the psychedelic medicine community, that's its platform is fullspectrummedicine.com. And then my personal website is drdanningle.com. Perfect. And we'll link to those in the show notes for show notes, show notes <laughs> for people listening in so you don't have to jot this down while you're driving. Um, and are you on, are you on social media, Facebook, Twitter? Instagram, I, any of that stuff? I am on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I don't check my Twitter account probably as often as might be helpful. Um, so there's the constant reminder to get in the, the social media scene. You know, in some ways, I'm still um, fond of being in the jungle and being super simple. So coming out, so to speak, like online and above board now is um, is an exciting time. And it and there's the constant like, oh, yeah, it is helpful to check in with the social media arena. So I, I'm I'm here to help make that commitment with you to do that more <laughs> discipline, mindfully. <Yes>. consistency, <laughs> totally. consistency. It is makes so much about consistency. Totally, <laughs> slow change is lasting change. hundred oh, percent, brother. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, and yeah, uh, we look forward to having you back on as soon as you're available. Awesome, Kyle. Thank yeah. You, Thanks, man. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check us out for more detailed information and question and answers. Everybody's got questions. Hopefully, I have some answers to point you in the right direction. We do those Facebook Lives every Wednesday on the Onnit main page. So if you click like on Onnit, you can check me out doing some question and answers that really revolves around the show. Every podcast that we do, I'm going to try to grind out some Q&A specifically to that podcast. Podcast is launched on uh, Monday, and then we do the Facebook Lives on Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central Time. If you don't make it, that's fine. Just write your questions into Onnit, and I'll be sure to answer those on the live, and then you can check those out at a later time when you need to. One of the challenging things anybody has to deal with with supplementation is just figuring out what to take. And then once you've figured out what to take, you got to bring it with you. You got to pack it. You got to actually make sure you comply with the protocol. And that was what our thinking was when we designed the TPC day and night packs. We basically put together all of our flagship formulas from Alpha Brain, Shroom Tech Sport, New Mood, Key Minerals, Spirulina Chlorella, Virutech, Shroom Tech Immune, Krill Oil, all of our best stuff and divided them out into the day and night pack. And the cumulative effect of all of these things is just going to feel like your brain is turned on, you have more energy, you have more ability to get stuff done, your immune system is going to be supported. When it comes time to rest, you're going to find it easier to relax, easier to fall asleep. All of the bases of optimization are covered. So all you got to do is with breakfast, you rip open a day pack, you take the supplements. With dinner or before bed, you rip open the night pack, you take the night supplements. And you can rest assured that you're getting the best nutrients that we've sourced, that we've studied in clinical research, and you're covered. You don't have to stress about anything else. It's definitely the easiest way to optimize through supplementation, and I encourage you guys to check it out. Go to onnit.com, O-N-N-I-T.com, and go get you some.